Welcome, Colin, to the World XP Podcast. This is episode number 21. It's been, uh, it's been a, a while since we've talked. It's been the theme for my last couple of guests, actually. The last oh, thing yeah. I knew, we were applying to college, and then you turned up as an Army Ranger. So it's been, uh, it's been some time. How are you, man? Doing good, doing good. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, yeah, it's been good. I'm, I'm, out, I'm out here in Georgia now, as we, I talked about briefly beforehand. Um, yeah, life's been, life's been different leaving Nova but for yeah, sure good, you enjoyed it though like yeah. when you were let's see so you were at William and Mary yep and what were you studying there uh, I studied uh like government political science with kind of a focus in international security mm-hmm. um so that kind of obviously primed the military stuff pretty hard uh and they they both played into each other uh and then I went on and, and joined the army and did RTC throughout uh college uh, as my coaching source and all that so for sure what made you want to join because i remember at the end of high school you were kind of you were umming and awing about it a little bit you were like oh i might see if i like it or might not and then and then here you are as active duty yeah yeah well, so so I, I thought about it a lot in high school and i saw all the benefits to it it interested me like the actual you know the job prospect of it the the service um and then i got there and i got into rc and it was awesome like there's super awesome group of people um, really charismatic, good group, small, we had a really small program. So it was super tight knit. We had 27 mm-hmm. cadets when I graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we all got along, it was a good team. We got along really well, learned a lot. Um, the big army is a lot different than ROC yeah. was uh, for sure. Uh, cause just, it's a gigantic bureaucracy, which is kind of what's been different. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I really fell in love with it when I was in college, got in really good shape, all that. It was, it, it was, it was good. So, so can you describe sort of for those, my general rule of thumb, side note, for, for these is kind of like if one person listens and gets something helpful or interesting or learns something new out of it, then that's kind of like I consider this a success, right? Um, so I don't, so like if you were to describe ROTC for those who may be interested or maybe yeah. like even not, not so much like a recruiting pitch, but like what was it like once you got in? Yeah. So when, when you get in, it's, it's, it's not that much like the, like the army people think of, um, you're not going out there. You're not going to shoot much. You're not going to, um, really learn like that much tactically. What it is, is it's a leadership course. Um, they put you, they make you uncomfortable. They'll put you in charge of people. So they'll give you like 10 guys and say, you're in charge of them. Not just like making sure they show up to events making sure like, Hey, did they do their home? Like, do they do their homework? Are they doing well in school? Like you, you, you're, you're involved in their life because that's what the army expects of you. They expect you to be involved, involved in your soldiers' lives. Cause right. You know, our, if a guy has problems with his wife, he's not going to fight as well kind of thing. Um, so they, it's a leadership course in that way. They make you, they force you to be a leader. Uh, and that's, that's the benefit of the school. You're not going to learn, like, so you're not going to learn much tactically. You'll go out and you'll learn basic soldier stuff, some first aid, some like a little bit of raid ambush attack defense like a little bit of a not really anything that's going to be that valuable to you to teach you that when you're in the army what's mm-hmm. valuable to rtc is you get you're forced to be a leader which most i mean school isn't going to do that to you sitting in the classroom you're not going to be forced to be a leader mm-hmm. they're going to take the person that looks the most uncomfortable and they're going to put them in front of a formation and they're going to say all right you're in charge do it um so that's 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 the benefit of rtc more than anything else for sure that wasn't Maybe it has changed. Maybe you had changed once you got to school, but that was not 
your or my forte really the leadership sort of thing did it did you feel like do you feel if you had to like get up in front of a group and, and talk to people or be in charge of people you feel I want to say obviously like the school worked but like can you describe sort of how that process changed for you personally yeah so and they 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 did a really good job they put you in it gradually so you'll start out just someone's in charge of you you're learning and then maybe your for after your first semester they'll put you in charge of a small team five to six um and then as you go along like by your junior year you're, you're in charge of maybe a platoon maybe 40 50 sometimes because it's, it's it was joint schools mm -hmm. and they'll force you to go up there and like brief what we call it, like an operations order and you'll go up there and you'll give deliver a plan for usually about an hour in front of everybody while everyone's judging you uh, on it and they force you to have that confidence in your speaking and my public speaking took off i mean i I now would have no qualms speaking in front of a large group of people. I do it all the time in my job. I mean, I, when I was a, a executive officer, you know, we had over a hundred soldiers that I'd, you know, speak to in large formations mm -hmm. you know, every other day, maybe, maybe daily. Um, very comfortable doing it. And I was not before I went to school. Um, so the, the program works as long as you, you develop that confidence, like kind of in your talent set mm -hmm. um, and in that group. And then, yeah, it's really it's really beneficial in that way. My my confidence, like in my myself and my military bearing and all that, increased dramatically throughout mm -hmm. my time. Was it difficult? Was it difficult for you to make that adjustment? I remember, like for myself in college, my first couple presentations or like yeah. uh, were not so good, and then by the end, I, I had got better. Um, and now, co coaching as well helps with that coaching soccer. Um, yeah. But. Did you notice that like sort of the first time you were in charge of somebody, you were like, oh, I don't know if I can tell them to do this or not. And then now by the end, you're like, nah, I won't use it, whatever. But yeah, absolutely. Especially like, cause they'll put people that are, you know, been in longer than you in the program, like sophomores, they'll put freshmen in charge of them and stuff like that. So yeah, I struggled a lot. And, uh, but I joined a, a couple organizations. Like I joined a, like a military fraternal organization mm -hmm. that, that helped me out with that too. Cause they'll, they they put us through the ringer during that thing, and that that kind of sped me along in my I guess in my development. Sure. They did a lot to develop us personally, so I think I actually transitioned pretty quickly. When I first got there, I was a little nervous about it, but mm -hmm. after a little bit, I, I felt really comfortable uh, very very quickly. Yeah, that's good. I think that'll definitely help you once. I mean, I don't know what your plans are in the future, but if if you decide to leave active duty when job yeah. interviews and stuff, it'll definitely help with that. I've been in. I also have a team that I'm managing now at work. And so being on the other side of inter like interviewing people, yeah, you can tell sort of almost, almost immediately, like mm, not this person, not this person. Yeah. That person might be a good fit, but there's always sort of, if you have that confidence going into an interview, it always gives you a, a higher chance because somebody could be more qualified for the job than you. But if they don't know how to tell you that they're more qualified for the job, then you like, how am I supposed to know to hire you? So, and especially with interviews and this is kind of a side note a little bit, but I don't, I'm like, for me, when people say that they struggle with interviews, personally, I don't really get it that much because they're asking you questions about yourself. Yeah. It's like, why don't you know? And I understand that people get nervous and, and like, and all sorts like that. Like I'm not trying to diminish anyone's sort of struggles with that, but you're telling me like it's, it makes you realize that it's a hard skill to sort of sell yourself as like, Hey, I'm the best person for this because of blank, yeah. blank and blank. 
And that's the one thing that I've noticed working with uh, people in the military, in the military, that they're very like confident most of the time in what they're portraying and like what they're saying, like in meetings and stuff, you know, even if they're in like not in uniform, you know, like which ones are former military or which ones are just civilians. And you can tell very, very easily most of the time just based off how they present themselves. And I think that's a good, a good thing that the military does for like younger people, especially now. Cause like you see like myself coaching, like you can't make kids run anymore because they'll just be like, no, I don't want to run. And then they'll like run really slow around the field. And it's yeah. like not even a punishment anymore. Cause they're not scared of like, they're not scared. So I think the yeah. military is doing a really good job with that, but um, that's just how I see it now anyways. But I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on yeah. that? You're right. Uh, especially specifically talking to officer corps, like I get a lot of, uh, interaction with interviews, believe it or not. I've changed mm-hmm. jobs almost every six months, mm-hmm. uh, cause the army's per- constantly in flux. Like people are always in and out. And so as I've been moving up in job positions, it's been every six months and I have to interview for all of them. So I've done mm-hmm. probably five interviews now, uh, just within my couple years in the army, uh, almost what, three and a half, mm-hmm. yeah, closing in on three and a half. Uh, I've done, yeah, I've done about five interviews during that time for various different jobs. And so I get really comfortable with that. And you're usually talking to someone that vastly outranks you. Like for my last one, I was talking to our our brigade commander who Mm -hmm. is, you know, four grades above me and runs an organization of, you know, 5,000. So it's, uh, you get, you get used to it. And, and this, these senior leaders, they have a really tough mentality. They're, you know, they've been in for a long time. Most of them, you know, they're all in the invasion and all that. So they're mm-hmm. very, they have a very different outlook on life and on like job perspectives and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it kind of forces you to be extremely confident because that's what they expect. And if you don't do it there, they're just going to blow you off. Yeah. You have, you have to earn your, res- earn their respect. I noticed that even like, so I was doing systems engineering for Marine Corps systems mm-hmm. command. Um, and even some of the, like the guys that were in like the um, program managers and stuff, they're like Lieutenant colonels and colonels and like high ranks. And so like, if you're talking to them, one, you're not even a government employee. So it's like, like depending on who it is, they can look at you as like lower than that. And then two, you have to really know what you're talking about because otherwise, why would they, why should they listen to you? Like they've got so much other stuff to do. And if you're like, Hey, I have a good idea. You better make sure that they know why it's a good idea. Otherwise they'll be like, nah, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't have time for you. Yeah. Blow it off. Yeah, yeah. They get busy sure. schedules and they get really personal about it. Uh, mm-hmm, for things. sure. Yeah. It's like so. this meeting ended at 1215. It is now 1215. I'm walking out of the room. Yep. I'm gone. I got yep. a schedule to keep. They're big about it. It's, exactly. Yeah, times of times valuable. It's good. It's, it's a good sort of mentality to have. I know. Yeah, man. You're like, hey, show up like at this time to this game, and people are like thirty minutes late, and they're like, oh, yeah. it's fine. It's just, it's whatever. It's like, no, I have things to do. Yeah, and like the people like the earlier you realize that, not you, but like the earlier people realize that, I think they start to take more control of their lives a little bit. Um, yeah, punct- punctuality is key. Um, mm-hmm. And in our in our business, we talk about like. It's, people say it jokingly, but it's true. Like timeliness saves lives. Like punctuality saves lives. Like mm-hmm. you're not on the objective at the exact right time. You know, it synchronizes everything, and, and people can die. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of the mentality that that they take with with timeliness. That's the reason that everyone's always on time. 
Mm-hmm. You you can be seriously reprimanded for being late, like like yeah, for career ending. Yeah, it's not. Systems command wasn't that bad. There would be, there would be people who notoriously were like, yeah, he'll be five minutes late. Yeah. All, to everything, but it was like punctually five minutes late. Because everyone knew. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everyone knew he was going to be five minutes late, and he was five minutes late every single time, like on the dot. Um, Thank you for him. Yeah. yeah. That's that's a form of punctuality. Yeah, Yeah, something like that. Consistently late. I don't know. But in that case, so I know I've had several or one or two people that I know go through OCS in the Marine Corps, and they've had people under them that are like 20 years, like I've been in for like 20 years or something. Yeah. And every time I ask, like, is that difficult? Every, almost, almost always the answer is yes. That's very difficult to deal with. Is that, has, has that been the same for you? Uh, to be honest with you, I, I, I I'm going to disagree with them. I don't think so. Uh, I had really awesome experiences with mm-hmm. my, my senior NCOs, our old guys, mm-hmm. our, uh, our crusty guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, super great experiences. Like when I got in my first platoon, my, my platoon sergeant, so like my right-hand man, who was mm-hmm. like my, my first guy, he was like 43. I think mm-hmm. he had a daughter that was a year younger than me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what, I think me and him, we just absolutely hit it off. And I never had any issues with that, which was weird. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they've started to realize that like this, this is, it's normal. It's the way it is. We got to mm-hmm. start somewhere. Yeah, I think they get it. And if you build that relationship right when you get in with that guy mm-hmm. and be like, hey, I get that you know more than me mm-hmm. and I'm in charge. I'm going to learn from you. I'm going to I'm going to seek development from you. But if I say we go, we go like I'm still I'm the one who signed the dotted lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's how it is. Mostly. Build I think, that relationship. Yeah, I think they run into trouble where they try and assert themselves rather than build the relationship. And I think that rubs people the wrong way sometimes. Yeah. What I'd recommend to people who go into that situation of like you're walking into a place, you're new there and you're in charge. Uh, and maybe there, there is someone who's more experienced than that. What I did is I took my first two weeks and I didn't do, I shouldn't say I didn't do anything, but I didn't make a single change. I simply mm-hmm. observed. I let my platoon sergeant, that 43 year old guy, I let mm-hmm. him do everything. Like mm-hmm. I let him run it. And I just observed like here, here's what they do on a daily basis. And then after about two weeks, I went, here's what I like. Here's what mm-hmm. I didn't like. Um, here's how I want to fix it. And they were on board with it. They're like, yeah, you're right. Like, we can't be doing that. Yeah. Uh, let's fix it. And then that's that's when I kind of started inserting myself. And then luckily we got to go out and do some like field training and we did remarkably well. And so that immediately gets the team on board. Uh, yeah. You got to be something to get, you know, your team, team on board. Yeah. Once you prove yourself in a situation like that, it makes it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but I was in the same same situation. Like my new position, I have a team under me. I have not changed anything hardly at all. Um, I think it's just a good sort of rule of thumb to learn how, how the people that you're like joining, how they do business. Right. Cause you don't want to make people too uncomfortable right away, especially maybe, maybe in the military, it's a little bit different, but in, in the civilian world, people like their routines and they like their like, Oh, I've always done it this way. Yep. And so in order to enact like real change, you kind of have to do it slowly like observe watch how they do things and then like see where you can make tweaks here and there and then hopefully you get enough time there that by the time like in a year or so you have it kind of running how you want 
but they don't really notice that they've changed it or that you've changed it until yeah. they're like, oh, we used to do things this way. And then all of a sudden, like, I didn't even realize that it changed. It's like, that's sort of how you want to do it. At least yeah. in my eyes, anyways. I don't know. Did Is that something... Is that something that they taught you in the leadership courses? Like how to, like, once you take charge of like a new situation, is that something they teach you? I don't know if they teach you it as much as it's something that it's great. Like you figure it out on your own because mm-hmm. it has to happen. You know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're taking charge of a new thing every year, uh, mm-hmm. like an RTC or, or what have you, you're, you're, you're going to be forced with that problem set over and over again. Mm-hmm. And so you have to, you have to, you, you, you learn it, you figure it out, Hey, this is what works. And, uh, you can't just go in guns blazing like my way or the highway or no one's going to follow you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have to do it that way. And th- there's always an issue, no matter what organization you're in with, we've always done it this way. That's like the greatest. Oh, for sure. Um, and people especially, are especially, like, especially big ones, big organizations are like that. Yep. Yeah. So the army, obviously gigantic, you know, it's, it, yeah, we have a lot of things that, a lot of because we've always done it that way kind of things mm-hmm. uh, and they're and they're almost impossible to change to be honest with you uh, a lot of they are system um and it's hard to get around that because you got hundreds of people that have been doing it this way from different organizations that are interacting that have been mm-hmm. doing it this way forever and this mm-hmm. massive bureaucracy that is the army and it it causes a lot of headaches but it's just the way they've always done it yeah because uh, you have to change it from every single level of like person that's involved with the process like even if systems command procurement is like to buy something like people (laughs) people used to ask me like why does it take so like forever to for this thing to get bought i'm like well come spend a day with me and you'll see why yeah (laughs) but it's like every because so many people touch the process that it's hard to really good like enact change that's why oftentimes reorgs well in my experience anyways i don't know if you're different but in my experience reorganizations with a big like organization sometimes does more harm than good because by the time everyone actually understands their new responsibilities half of them are gone and you have to teach the new people anyways yep yeah we have we have that problem on like a very large scale because i mean i'll people will change duty stations every two years. Mm-hmm. Um, some, some even less than that. Some people maybe every year. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've like just absolutely constant changeover. So that's yeah. why people always fall back in those old habits. Um, yeah. It makes sense because there's continuity, but at the same time, you need, like at a certain point you gotta be like, okay, well we should probably fix this thing. That's taking way too long for no reason. Yeah. It's not working. Yeah. But with that said, what do you think probably like the most important aspects for leadership are in general, not just like military, but generally? Um, so the first thing is you got to, I think you have to let everybody know what your priorities are. Uh, I think is one of the most important things. Like we, the, the army is starting this now. It wasn't always kind of this way. They're doing this whole people first thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what they call it. They call it pe- people first, like the new motto, because the army has been having some issues with its, you know, its people, you know, mm-hmm. all the issues at Fort hood with soldiers like being murdered and mm-hmm. not, people not knowing about it for months on end. Um, there's been some issues with that. So you got to let them know like, Hey, I am here to take care of you. And everything we do every day is for your own best interest, whether you, sometimes you don't like doing it, but it's for your own best interest. I think establishing those priorities is the first thing. And then physically acting on them. Those are two totally separate things. Um, 
you see a lot of leaders that'll go out there and say like, yeah, I'm here for your best interest, blah, blah. blah. And then someone brings you an issue like, Hey, I have, I got to go pick up my kid from daycare. Like, mm-hmm. I know I have shift right now, but I got to go pick up my kid from daycare. And you're like, too bad, man. You got shift. Sorry. Like there's what that's, that's that those little tests. You have to pass those little tests. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. That's like the, one of the first big steps is, is physically showing mm-hmm. that you care. Servant leadership. Yep. Exactly. Servant sure. leadership. My company is all, all about that. Like all the, the little, like, like the example you brought up kid from daycare no problem. Like go okay. for it. Like, we'll like, we'll cover for you. Yeah. Um, it's really nice. Like, Hey, I've got, like when I got back from Mexico, I needed to go get tested for COVID and I don't know how it is in Georgia, but up here it's, it can be difficult to find a place to go get tested. Um, yeah. I found this gym that's like an hour away that I can make same day appointments and get the result in like the rapid one. Yeah. And I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want people taking away my, <laughs> taking away the place that I go. Yeah. Um, but so I'm like, Hey, they have an appointment in the middle of the day. No problem. We'll cover for you. If you need something, let me know. It's like everybody's in communication all the time. And it's a really like really well run uh, sort of organization. And that comes from the leadership and the culture that they've instilled there in the last like well, 20 years since the company was, was founded, but coaching yeah. is coaching is the same way, just in, in different, right? Like you have to make sure that the players know that you're there for them and you're there to help. Like you don't need to win. Yeah. Well, depending on the situation, obviously, but like you're trying to develop the players um, individually rather than nobody gets playing time or like this or like whatever other political squabbles that, pop up in those situations yeah always yeah and then i just thought about this too the second thing i would also say is always give a why Mm -hmm. i think that's a sign simon cynicism um but Mm -hmm. essentially giving someone something to do like this is more of a managerial leadership when you're assigning Mm -hmm. someone a task you need to always give them a why so they understand well they understand why they're doing it I, i i hate i despise when people say like go do this and you ask them why and they're like well because i'm in charge so go do yeah it. or because i uh, said why so is important not just for them to know like hey this is this is why this is important but two when they're actually doing that task if they if they've come across a problem and they have your why or your intent they know why you want them to do it they can make decisions on basically on your behalf knowing your intent mm-hmm. and accomplish it, things more efficiently 100 um, percent. why they're doing it uh, if they don't know why they're doing it they might do something and it might jack it all up, and then they're going to look back at you, and you're you're going to piss at them because they jacked it up, and it wasn't within your intent. But you can't fault them because you never told them what the why was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think always giving a why is number two. That's more like managerial leadership, but mm-hmm. always you got to always give a why. And I, I something I, when I've heard that, I took it to heart. And so every, every, everything I tell someone to do, I give them a why. Here's why you're doing this. Here's why this is important. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a good policy to have. I, I notice when you give the why, they're more inclined to work harder at it as well yeah um it makes them feel like they're more involved in the decision even if yeah. they're not <laughs> but in the and they can make their own decisions mm-hmm. yeah once once they get into the situation yeah once they get into the situation if they know why like you were saying they run into a hiccup or it didn't go exactly to plan they can improvise because they know why they're doing it and what what the end goal is rather so if they have to go take route b rather than route a 
they're still good. This definitely it's the same way in coaching for sure. You're doing a drill. You want to let them know, Hey, in this game situation, this is where this pops up. And this is why you need to be good at this like particular skill. And you notice that in practice as well, like they'll put more effort in, they'll like go at game speed rather than just, uh, yeah. Which, which players do, especially like young, the younger ones. Now, if you don't, well, I could go on a whole rant about that, but yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll save that for later. But so, so you've been, uh, let's see. So why don't you take us through sort of like you join ROTC and you mm-hmm. graduate from ROTC and then what's next for you? Uh, so I graduated from ROTC and I actually took a couple months off mm-hmm. um, and before I started on active duty and I just worked, worked in football, mm-hmm. uh, worked the end of that season which was awesome uh, to kind of get that one last experience before I went off and I did my own thing. So that was yeah, cool. we'll, we'll, um, we'll get there eventually in this podcast. What, what that was like a little bit of football. Yeah. So yeah. Then, I, then I got uh, I joined, I immediately went off to Fort Benning and I hit a couple schools. So I hit um, the officer, the armor officer, basic armor, basic officer leaders course, which is like are on the job training. Here's how mm-hmm. you be an armor officer. Here's how you do tanks. Here's how you do reconnaissance. Those are the two big tasks for armor officers. Mm-hmm. And then I went to the army reconnaissance course, which is a, uh, it's, it's also, they're all leaders course because we're officers mm-hmm. and it's on like reconnaissance collection, intelligence gathering, uh, and intelligence management. And then I went to ranger school following that. Um, and I got, I got hurt and in, in the reconnaissance course. So I, it delayed my start for ranger school. So I was at Benning for a while. What was the uh, what, what was the injury? I I I, just, I actually sprained both of my ankles. I fell in a hole uh, during the land nav course and uh-huh. absolutely poor me. I was in a boot in one of them and like this weird cast thing in the other. They let me stay in the course and I managed up finishing it. My first day out of the boot was during our like first dismounted like uh, air assault. So we like we got you know flown in on birds and my first time walking like out of the boot. I took the boot off right before I got on the helicopter. <laughs> My first time walking was getting out of the helicopter. Uh, uh, people yeah, first, right? It worked out. So I shouldn't joke about that. No, it was it was all right. It was it was a funny thing. The instructor's looking at me like, "You're really gonna do this right now?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, I'm going for it. Let's do it. Let's oh do it." Oh my god! So what was sort of um, for those people that don't know, armored school or like the armored divisions are, well, for lack of a better word, tanks. Yeah. There's, um, so can you describe sort of like, with most people when who have no experience with the military, they think of tanks. They think of one one tank with like a bunch of guys running around in Call of Duty, whereas you uh, commanded a platoon of tanks. Is that correct? Yeah. That's so correct. you had a bunch of them all at the same time. And so with what you can say, obviously, can you sort of describe like what maybe some uh, typical missions maybe, or yeah. like sort of what it's like to command armor rather than um, just people on boots on the ground. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so tanks, people have a really weird perception of tanks. It's coming from, you know, when people think tank warfare, they're thinking World War II, right? Mm-hmm. Um, tanks have come a long way since then. It's been, you know, a long time since World mm-hmm. War II, obviously. So tanks are tanks are not these slow, bulky, clunking machines that clunk through and people hide behind. We we go fast. Speed is our speed is our security, as we like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so speed is everything. You can take a, an Abrams tank nowadays if you're 
if you're hitting it and you take the governor off, you can hit it at 60 miles an hour. And it's, you know, that's 72 to 70, I think eight tons in the newest version that's come out moving at 60 miles an hour. And you can, yeah. you can block those things. They're fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so no, yeah, we, we, I think we're gone with the days of people walking behind tanks, at least in a conventional war environment, like we call a, a near peer threats, like fighting a, a sure. large country in an armored fight. We're, mm-hmm. we're not moving slow. We're moving as fast as we possibly can all the time. Um, and the missions, believe it or not, for, for a tank unit are very similar to like your traditional infantry. It's just, everything's bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, so we still seize, seize ground. Like we'll seize terrain. We'll, we'll, um, seize battle positions or seize areas. Um, the issue is the difference is the area that we'll seize is kilometers or miles big while an infantry might seize us like a couple buildings or something like that. Mm-hmm. So every, it's, 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 the missions are very similar, just on a very large scale and all the maneuver and all the, the tactics that go into it are all the same, just on a really big scale. Gotcha. Um, that makes sense. That goes into it, so. Yeah. I feel like people have a, not the most accurate perception of what our current war environments are, are looking like. Um, myself included, obviously I like I've learned cause I've talked to you and I've, I work with some veterans and I've talked to several other people that kind of like one of my, one of my close friends was in, um, he was in Iraq in like late 2000, like 2008, maybe 2009. Yeah. Um, and so I have some, some sort of understanding, but can you, again, obviously what you can say and, I'll, that's the last time I'll, I'll say that because you and I both know that you know that. Um, what sort of like from what the typical person would view as the war as the war environment? What is, what are the different the biggest differences now that you're seeing? Yeah, so the army, as, as you know, like the conflict in Iraq and Afghanistan are, are pretty boiled down. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't. I don't even think we had a soldier death. I knock on wood in Iraq and Afghanistan. I think in almost a year. Um, yeah, I'd have to I'd have to fact check that. I don't know if that's true, um, but it's it's been pretty light over there lately. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, which is obviously a good thing, mm-hmm. and not to say they're not you know getting in their fair share of, of fights and ticks, but um, it's it's been quieter. So the army's changing, like kind of changing its focus a little bit. We're starting to focus more on our, our near peer threats again, mm-hmm. which the army's known for, which is what you think of like big modern large scale warfare, um, which is why the army's starting to bring in more armor. So a lot of these old, including my unit, a lot of these old infantry units are transferring over and becoming armor units. Like my, my unit's a very new armor unit. We were in gotcha. just a few years ago, right when I joined, we were an infantry unit and then we changed. Because um, now that we're focusing more on fighting near peer threats, China, Russia, you know, Iran, uh, the need for armored warfare is back. And these large scale kinetic conflicts uh, are back. And mm-hmm. I don't think anyone really knows what it would look like today yeah um, exactly like you look at the invasion in 2003 yeah that was a large-scale kinetic invasion but we didn't have drones we didn't have the satellite capabilities we have today mm-hmm. i think it's it's going to look a lot different in the future because we have those other yeah. domains as we like to call them that are that are really going to transform everything yeah it's gonna be also fight. also a lot less initial resistance on the like initial push than you would expect from a near peer like you were saying I don't know. Hopefully, knock on wood, we don't end up in any of those anytime soon. I don't, I think everyone is very, is on edge the right word, like kind of nervous. I think nervous, but also at least how I'm feeling anyways, is like, I'm a little like, yeah, but like, I don't think anything huge will happen anytime soon. It doesn't seem like to me anyways, that 
that's on the near term yeah. horizon. I think I think we've hit in the world a really good balance, almost if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all the we're and a lot of this honestly can boil down to nuclear weapons. Yeah, uh, because nuclear sure. weapons exist, and because they're now so spread out throughout the world, it's hard to go to war with each other. Mm-hmm. Because when you're when you're that leader making like national leader making that decision of do I invade this country, mm-hmm. and you think there's a possibility the world ends because of this, your your decision making changes quite a bit. And yeah. I think that's kind of what is helping us out here. Um, that's why I think Iran is much more likely than China or Russia. Um, yeah. Because if you go to war China or Russia, like that's nukes, the- nukes are in play for sure. Yeah. With Iran, that's probably the more likely hotspot because they're not quite nuclear capable yet. Mm-hmm. And so, as far as we know. Yeah. And so, that's that's probably the more likely hotspot because we have a, a very large advantage there. But yeah, I think we're people shouldn't fear the world as much as they do. I, I know it's, that's a hard thing to say. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that boils. Have you ever heard of the information bias? Um, no. Yeah. So it's, it's a common thing. So the world really, if you look at it is probably safer today than it has been at any point in human history. Um, yeah, yeah. Sure. I would agree with that. Almost 80 years without a major power global war or major mm-hmm. power war, which mm-hmm. is almost unheard of in world history. You look at almost any 20 year period, there's at least two major powers that are going to war with each other and mm-hmm. hundreds of thousands of people are dying. Yeah. We even had sure. that in, in, in 80, since World War II, I mean, it just hasn't existed. I mean, the Cold War obviously existed, but that was mm-hmm. almost entirely proxy. Us going into Vietnam was not a large power war. No. Um, so that that hasn't existed, and that's that's remarkable. But people, mm-hmm. what what's happening? I think a lot now is is when we talk about the information bias, is we tend to perceive the world as more dangerous than it is because we have access to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, people, there was a lot of people dying back in the day. We just didn't always hear about it. Now we're much better informed. And we're getting all this information. We're like, man, this is this is jacked up, and it is. Like, there's a lot mm-hmm. of stuff that's that's not good that's happening in the world. But it's been happening for a long time. We should know about it. And now we yeah. do. So it's a good thing, but it causes an inherent bias where we 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 tend to think things are much worse than they are. Yeah, that that makes sense. I think two thoughts. One, what the kind of the kind of like the world being in in that balance. I think the big powers, like you were saying, are kind of like. Yeah, we're not going to do a World War II type thing anymore. Like, I think it's kind of, I don't want to say like an unwritten sort of, but it seems, it, like the way it seems to me, like as everyone's come to that point where it's like, all right, we're not going to do this. We're just going to mess with each other's trade and try and hack each other. And like, yeah. that's yeah. like the unwritten sort of like, and we might send some carriers like towards you just to like yeah. mess with you. But other than that, like, we're not going to do anything. I think that's sort of like, it seems like the unwritten sort of rule, maybe. Yeah. So I don't know. That's just, it just, it just seems like it's like in chess where you both can take the queen, but you both choose not to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's, that's where we're at. But mm-hmm. there, there is something that could kind of break that balance. And that's, we call it hybrid threat. Mm-hmm. It's basically what Russia did in Ukraine. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, mm-hmm oddball that you can throw in to kind of break the system is since we're so uh mindful of like accountability of like this person's doing this if you can deny responsibility in a conflict mm-hmm. it kind of ruins the system it's like russia yeah. essentially inv- invaded ukraine 
and no one did anything about it because they had plausible deniability. They said it wasn't us. It was just Russian separatists who really wanted to take the country back. But yeah, you know, it's, like, it's like, yeah, okay. okay. And hospital, yeah. you know, so. Oh, so it's another thing, the information bias, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree pretty much like wholeheartedly. I, I don't know, like you hear about so much like crap that goes on now, but it's all one-off stuff that I think yeah. for sure that you wouldn't have heard much about like 50 years ago even, um, especially with some of the stuff that, do you know who Annie Jacobson is? I don't. So okay. she's like an investigative journalist and she wrote a book on um, Area 51 and yeah. she wrote a book on the Pentagon and um, like submarine operations during the Cold War. Mm-hmm. And there were so many like submarine accidents or like SR-71s that got shot down over Soviet Union or like all sorts of like little yeah. things that no one ever heard about until now. And it's like we would we would be hearing about that stuff all the time and be like, why did why did we send this thing there and they ran into this other submarine and then like then people would be up in arms about it and like two sailors died when a submarine accident happened but like this or that or like all all sorts of stuff like like that's just for me the easiest example because i read one of her books recently but i mean because every person now is is a media source Um, Mm -hmm. like we had we had one of our drones shot down over iran Mm-hmm. And it sparked a huge international incident. If you look back to like the Cold War, we would have just been like, "Nope, not ours. Prove it." Yeah, it was a we- like, it was a weather balloon footage of it getting shot down and all that. And it's yeah, like, yeah, it happened. You know. Yeah. So now that everyone's a media source, yeah, it's hard to deny. like the Roswell crash um, that like kicked off all the Area Fifty One stuff, where they're like, "Oh, yeah. it's a weather balloon." It's like, "Yeah, okay, I got a video of it now." Yeah, that could never or, happen today. Mm-hmm. Not a chance. Because someone would be there with their phone and they'd catch mm-hmm. it. Yeah, for sure. But it's, that's it's, why we find out now about everything, and we didn't before. Yeah. It's something that happens three times now seems like, man, this is a pattern. This is happening all the time. But really, it happened three times, and you heard about it three times, and it's kind of a logical fallacy to assume it's common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that makes it's, sense. it's a bias that we have. Yeah, it's a weird. It's a weird world we live in now. It's almost too much information, to be honest. Like it's hard to keep track of everything. Like what's important, what's not important. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's it's rough because like I've I've stayed off. So I go on Twitter for NBA highlights, soccer scores, whitehead quotes. Yeah, <laughs> I wish. Not apparently he retired. Did he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because my uh, my sister's at Briar now. Oh okay. You know who her teacher is? Huh. JT. No, no way. I heard that he was working there now. Yeah. That's awesome. I was, I told, I told my sister, I was like, yeah, I'm going to text JT and tell him that you're a horrible student. She was like, no, don't do that. That's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I go on Twitter for like only a handful of like handful of things. Sometimes when Trump was in office to see what he tweeted, cause some of that stuff was hysterical. Oh, and I know, yeah. and I know, you know, like you can't really comment on much of that stuff because of the Hatch Act, which for those listening that don't know the hatch act is basically uh saying that people in the military can't comment or choose sides i guess political sides um uh, that yeah, we cannot be publicly partisan yes there that's better term yeah. for it um because some of that's but like some of his tweets were absolutely hysterical just yeah, like no deny that. <laughs> another yeah, reason he put up he put up one during the campaign 
it was a picture of uh, an old folks home and he photoshopped or somebody photoshopped Biden's face on it on it and put Biden for resident and I was like uh, and I, and it came from his official account and I was like he really just doesn't care anymore what world do we live in yeah, yeah. so like that's what I go on for Twitter and then Facebook I go on to check whose birthday it is see if see if i actually know that person very well and then i text them i don't even like put it on facebook usually i just like text yeah. them, happy happy birthday but that's about it and i've been a lot happier because so many people are arguing all the time about stuff yeah. that really doesn't matter and i used to get into it and i was not a happy person yeah. so it's not worth it it's not worth the additional uh, people stay up thinking about that. That's the kind of stuff that weirdly keeps you awake at night. Yeah, it's like oh, I, sh- I should have commented this thing. It's like no, you shouldn't have. You shouldn't have even commented the first one. Yeah, Stop. you think of that perfect gotcha in the middle of the night, and you're just, but they wouldn't respond to it, so it wouldn't work. You know, I know people that will when they think of it that will go back to the thread and reply with that. Yep. And I'm like, dude, just sleep. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, but. Like you're saying, man, like, uh, actually, we can get on Whitehead for like two seconds because well, yeah. Mr. Whitehead, he was our history teacher in, in junior year. And this man would say the most ridiculous things in class. He said, I think I remember four specifically, maybe three, three specifically. One was that he was going to convince one of the other history teachers that he had a brilliant business idea. And, it was, and he wrote it on because he didn't have his own classroom. So he like wheeled from room to room. He wrote deep fried pop deep fried pop tarts across the whiteboard and just left it there as he left for the next class. Yep. There was one um, when he would do these quizzes. <laughs> I've got an idea. Let's take a quiz. Quote Mr. Whitehead. So we were go- we would go through the quizzes. Do you remember the one about life not being fair? Oh yeah. Yeah. So he goes Answered a number like 18 or whatever is C. And, he, and somebody was like, well, A is also right. And he was like, it is, but C is more right. And the kid responded, that's not fair. And he goes, life's not fair. That's why Lincoln got shot in the head. <laughs> I remember that. Uh, yeah, he's a, he called me while I was on vacation on somebody else's phone. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I haven't heard from him since I left. No, no, like, like that year. Oh, that so, year. like oh. I missed like a couple of days because I was like out in Colorado skiing or whatever. And yeah. he called me from somebody's phone and he was like, you've got a quiz waiting for you when you get back. And I was like, go away. <laughs> like, leave me alone. I'm 16. I, I don't like school. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. He was, he made school fun, but he fine. Did. So Colin's comment about whitehead quotes on Twitter was because I thought it would be funny to make a whitehead quote Twitter account. And now looking back, it wasn't actually that funny, but yeah. it had its it, it had its moments. It was it was high school. You do dumb things. Yeah, but hmm. yeah, that was good. So, all right, back to the timeline. So you went through sort of armor school, whatever, and yep. then you ended up at Army Ranger School, which I think there's. Mm, I want to. Mm, I'm going to get the number wrong. How many steps are there? There's. Really three, but kind of four phases of it. I was going to say four, but I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, So can you walk us through sort of like how how Ranger School works and sort of like what the steps were? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So Ranger School was broken up. I say three, kind of four, but it really should be four phases. And that's the, the first five-ish days, I think. Kind of a blur, that part of it, <laughs> uh, is the Ranger Assessment phase. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you go into the Benning phase and then Mountain phase and Swamp phase. And each each one of those, you move to a different place. So Ranger mm -hmm. Assessment phase and Benning phase are at, at Fort Benning. And then also Benning phase, also known as Darby phase. Darby depends on how you, how, who's your instructor is, is what they call it. And then for mountains, you go up to Dahlonega, Georgia, and North Georgia, and the Tennessee Valley Divide. Mm -hmm. You're up in the mountains there. And then Swamp Phase is in, is in Florida on Eglin Air Force Base in North Florida. Um, and so th those are each, each phase is about a month, give or take. Um, the school in total is 61 days, mm -hmm. um, 62, I think, if you count day zero is the way it works. Um, but yeah, so you show up. Um, there's usually, it's you and your four or 500 best friends that all show up um, throughout the army to this thing. You shave your head, everyone shaves their head. Um, now that females are in, females buzz their hair straight up. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not shaved, but it, it's buzzed. Mm -hmm. um, and then you show up on day zero, they put you in a company, there's three companies, and then your life just starts getting really bad. Um, <laughs> so depending on what company you're in, depends on how bad the first day is. Um, mm -hmm. they usually they smoke you pretty good. You know, you're, carrying your bags make you run around do all this crazy stuff and then the next morning at like 2 a.m they'll you start and you do your pt test um yeah. it's different it's just a physical test all it is mm -hmm. is it's push-ups sit-ups five mile run and then pull-ups but for whatever the army's the ranger school's weird about this push-ups is the most failed event at army ranger school they will cut like 35 40 percent of the class in the first you know hour of the course because the of push-ups there's a push -ups. How, what, how much do you have to get? Or how many do you have to get? It's just 49 push-ups. But the, the thing that Ranger School does that's different is it's 49 perfect push-ups. So it's not, it's not a test of strength because mm -hmm. 49 push-ups isn't that hard. No. But it's a test of precision mm -hmm. because they have to be 100. So you're, you're, you're in like a wood chip pit. It's a circle. Uh, and it's, it's filled with wood chips and you go in there. Is that miserable on your hands? Yeah, it's, it isn't great. It isn't great, but the whole school is miserable. So it's kind of one of those things, but you're like all amped up and you're like, ready to go. You're mm -hmm. this mm -hmm. is time. And everyone knows that pushups are, are the thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so you, your body has to be perfectly straight. You go all the way down. I dug out in the wood chips. I dug out a space so my chest could go lower. So I could go lower. Look at um, you, smart, I mean, smart guy. Yeah, yeah, right. There's, they say there's two types of rangers. There's strong rangers and there's smart, smart rangers. I was very hard in the smart category. I wasn't the guy that was carrying <laughs> I helped with some of the, the smart stuff. Uh, but yeah, so then you go as deep as possible and then you come out and you lock out and you pause. And mm -hmm. it's like that. It's like, so like I used to train on a metronome. Mm -hmm. I'd listen to a metronome and that's how I train my pushups. So you, cause they want you to go slow. They want you to like, cause people just try to go like super, super fast and they'll fail them immediately. And the, the thing's hard is they don't tell you whether or not you're doing it right. They won't say anything. They'll just sit there and watch you. And you might do 70 pushups and then they'll be like, all right, you failed. See ya. Oh, that you, would you be horrible. And then, but eventually I got to 49 and then the guy was like, all right, stand up. You're good. And I was like, oh, thank God. And go on to the next thing. So, yeah, so you do the PT test, um, finish mm -hmm. pull-ups. You do that. And then immediately they start putting you through all the events. And now that, now that I'm looking back on it, the order of the events is, is kind of a blur now, which is crazy. Because before I went to school, I had it memorized. I knew mm -hmm. like by hour mm -hmm. what I was getting. Um, but you do like a, a combat water survival test where you like, 
do a zip line and you walk across a log that's super high up and over the water and then you like shimmy down on this rope and you touch a tab and you do a pull up and you fall into the water and all this crazy stuff and the idea is it exposes fear of of water and fear of heights uh, immediately so people who are scared of heights will not like i've seen it i saw quite a few people there they won't go up there you're like 100 no, not probably, not 100, probably 50 feet up and you're mm-hmm. on a balance beam and people people look at that and they're like nope i'm out i'm done did, any, did anyone get on and fall uh, I never saw a single person fall. I'm sure someone has, but uh-huh. I didn't see a single person fall. Um, but so fair enough. It but yeah, it's a walk over these little steps too in the middle of it. It's, mm-hmm. it's good. I thought it was kind of fun. I'm not really scared of any of that kind of stuff, so mm-hmm. it wasn't too bad. But some people have those have those phobias and yeah, yeah, for sure. That. That's the point. Um, you go through that. You you fight a bit in this pit. You literally just fight each other. What, for a like while wrestle yeah you just wrestle they'll uh-huh. try to get you to do some techniques and stuff but you're really just wrestling and they'll make you run around they'll spray with hoses and uh <laughs> it's just to get you tired then you do the obstacle course now obstacle mm-hmm. course is brutal same thing they're spraying you with hoses maybe you mm-hmm. do it's just a smoke fest and mm-hmm. then um you do that for a couple of days various things for along those days and there's a, a ranger skills test where they test you in like setting up a claymore setting up a machine gun stuff like that and then and it all finishes with a 12 mile ruck. Um, so, it, which is where you carry like a, I think it's about a 60 pound pack and you just got to walk 12 miles in under three hours. Um, which I trained for hard um, and I barely made it. And the reason I probably, I usually finish rucks a 12 mile in probably, you know, two hours, 15, two hours, 30, mm-hmm. but you're just so tired at that point because mm-hmm. you don't sleep much yeah really well during that first part because what they'll do is you'll be done with your training like you don't have anything else to do and they'll just make you stand there there's they're like they're like these rock pits <laughs> and you'll just you'll stand there for like six hours you'll just stand there and then they'll come out and be like stop talking and then you you just stand there and you're just like it's two in the morning and i'm standing here on some rocks that's horrible and eventually like they'll be like all right go to bed and you like it'd be like 2 a.m and then they're like you're wake up at three and you're like, all right, sweet. And so you get an hour and then you go do the next thing. Um, but they, they feed you during that phase. During that That's first nice. Four days. That's nice of them. Three times a day, which is the only time that occurs. Um, so that, that is that. Um, and then so once you finish the 12 mile, you cross the finish line uh, and they feed you right before the 12 mile and they go, all right, congratulations. Like you're, you're in the school now um, once you pass. And they're like, your next meal is in 24 hours. So yeah. So you do like this 12 mile rock march and you're hungry and mm-hmm. that's when they start getting you with the food deprivation is like right then it starts um was there anyone that like tried to like put a snack in their pocket or something yeah so people try sneaking food all the time um they, they, always get, always? they always get caught always always the get instructors in- have been doing it for so long they just know they know how students are going to do it uh the best tactic i found is gum because mm-hmm. chewing gum is allowed mm-hmm. in, in certain quantities. They actually count the number of sticks. I don't remember the exact number. <laughs> um, but if you chew gum, it helps with like the feeling of hunger. I'm uh, sure. Yeah, so yeah. I, I chewed a ton of gum like that first day and it helped. It did, it, it did help me get through that. Um, but feeling hunger is something that I definitely experienced and it was mm-hmm. not fun. I mean, by the end of the course, I, I lost 40 pounds. Sheesh. Um, yeah, well, was, how, was, much, how much did you weigh going in? I weighed, so I, I was, I was in good shape going on. I probably weighed around 185, 190. Mm-hmm. I came out in the one forties. 
Holy crap. Yeah. That's saying. horrible. Cause like when you're at like that 180 range, at least for me, like 170, like high 160s is like, I'm like fit. I couldn't imagine being 40 pounds lighter than that. Like what I would look like. Yeah. It, it was gross. We were, we came out of that last phase. I looked myself in the mirror. Like eyes were all like in my head, like in my sockets. And it, dude, it was gross. Was Huge gross. meal as soon as you were done, didn't you? Oh, it was bad. I ate so much. <laughs> I just ate a ton of like, because what they'll do is when you graduate, they call it the beer X. Mm-hmm. They'll actually give you two beers. And it's not for like the alcohol, it's for the calories that's in beer. Uh, and then you eat just, I ate like a whole pizza and I ate a ton of candy. Like, I don't know, I had weird things that I wanted to eat. <laughs> but yeah. You know, bodybuilders do that as well. I was talking to um, episode eight or nine, I think, Daniel. He was basically not like, not as bad as you guys but like his breakfast would be like one small cup of rice and then like a ounce of tuna or like whatever he would count it out all the time like every single meal and then as soon as he got done with his show his bodybuilding show he like wendy's four for fours like wings pizzas like the works you got to you got to yeah yeah no yeah i i totally get that yeah, I, I ate, like, so much Chick-fil-A when I got back. They call it the ranger gut. When you get back, you get, like, uh-huh. this belly. Yeah. So you're just eating, and it's just, ah, oh, it's bad. Um, but, yeah, yeah, it's it was it was a time the the food and sleep deprivation gets really real after that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get through Darby, and uh, Darby's, like, your longest field time. You're spending mm-hmm. the entire time sleeping on the ground, um, which there's not much. You get about probably about 20 minutes a night. 20 minutes? On, yeah. So... I know, like, they tell you, or not they, but, like, when you're reading about, like, being healthy and, and whatnot, like, oh, you yeah. should get, like, this much sleep or this much food or this much whatever. I couldn't – so I've gone, like, a day or two without sleep, like, in school, like, all-nighters or whatever. Yeah. And, like, normally I'm pretty good. But by the third day, I'm, like, Yeah. No. You stop functioning as a person. Yeah. So like how, so, and they're making you do difficult things while you are not able to function. So like how, what is, what is that like? Uh, That's, that's the challenge of the school. uh, I'd say in the end is uh, so they can't, they can't shoot at you, right. In range Mm -hmm. school, they can't fire live bullets at you. So they simulate combat stress Mm -hmm. by making everyone super tired and hungry. Uh, It's kind of, it's kind of the thing. Um, So everyone's a zombie all the time mm-hmm. like once once the sun goes down oh man it's so bad every night because dudes are just falling asleep walking you start hallucinating mm-hmm. like it, it gets it gets really rough and that's 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 the challenge of school a lot of the stuff that we're doing we're all pretty prepared for like mm-hmm. if, I, if we were all like normal like eight hours of sleep doing good a lot of the tasks they ask you to do at ranger school probably wouldn't be that bad especially since you have some really experienced guys that have been in the army for a long time, mm-hmm. um, they'd be able to do this stuff. But once you start throwing tired, being tired and being hungry, yeah. into it, it makes it really hard to be like coordinated and mm-hmm. do these things. Right. Um, Cause people start being lazy. People start taking like, shortcuts, so shortcuts and that, and that's, it ruins the whole thing in the end because every little shortcut. And that's, that's why the school is not a survival school. It's another leadership school mm-hmm. for that reason, because you got to figure out, how do I keep these guys going 
when they haven't eaten and they haven't slept, but they have to do the little things right. Like mm-hmm. and down to very precise stuff. So like, for example, when we stop and we get into like a patrol base, there's a very specific order that we have to do everything in. And mm-hmm. people like to break the order. So like the order is you stop and you get security. Right? So everyone like gets down and make sure there's no one else there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to kill them. And then you dig your fighting position. And then you, um, man, wow, I'm maybe blanking on this now. I'll tell you how long I've been out of it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you get security, you dig your fighting position, and then you do hygiene, right? And you mm-hmm. shave, you put on your camouflage, and then you can eat, and then you can sleep. Mm-hmm. That's like the order that you go in every single time. But people like to break that. They like, they'll, they'll sit down, they'll dig their fighting position, and they're like, I'm not going to shave, I'm going to eat. But the instructions will come around, and if you don't have, if you're not fresh saving, and you have something in your mouth, mm-hmm. that dude, the dude in charge, you just failed. Like so, yeah. like people, it's getting people to adhere to the standards when they mm-hmm. it's not in their own best interest. Gotcha. That, that's the challenge of the school. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know. Ugh. It's probably it's hard to get yourself to do it. I don't want to get other people to do it. Yeah. As well. But you have to. I mean, if, if if I'm a guy and I'm not being so all the leaders are the only ones being evaluated. If you're just not if you're not. Who else is with you? OK, so, yeah. So I'll, for the first phase, it's it's a squad of about mm-hmm. 17 mm-hmm. for the second and for third phase. It's a uh, it's a platoon size, which means we're from about 40 to 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and every morning the instructors come in and they say off some your roster number. And they'll usually say it's usually about six people, squad leader or platoon leader, platoon sergeant, four squad leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those people are in charge that day. Mm-hmm. And that's that's when you're evaluated. Oh, so you just rotate. And you rotate. It's different every single day and everyone gotcha. gets their go. And if you pass, that's how you move on. If you don't, you you do the phase again. Gotcha. That makes sense. So makes but sense. everybody else who isn't those six people, mm-hmm. they have no stake in it. Mm-hmm. They're not being evaluated. Was your injury did they did they like make you not sleep and not eat when you were injured as well? Uh, so my injury that I had actually was during was before that in the reconnaissance course. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, I did get kind of hurt in ranger school. It was a weird thing. I mm-hmm. got uh, they call it rucksack palsy, mm-hmm. where uh, my ruck from from wearing my my heavy pack all the time we wear mm-hmm. it all the time. Um, it denervated part of my arm, so I couldn't flex my right bicep. Like it would, it would hang, like I physically couldn't flex it um, because the nerve mm-hmm. connection there was crushed. Um, but they, they don't care. <laughs> they don't care. You get hurt, they're like, are you going to keep going or you're, you're out? It's one of the two. They don't care. There's no sympathy. So, all right. So recon school was before then, was before. Yeah, the, yeah. I did the recon okay. School. Okay. So, so you get through, are you still on the first betting phase? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Darby, it's, it's mm-hmm. chaotic. It sucks. so what's sort of like the last it's like all right you do this and you're done is there something like that for the first one yeah so the last thing in of the school really is is in florida uh, in in the swamp phase um it's actually like one of the better missions that you do Mm -hmm. there's like florida is mountain florida is the worst day is mountain after swamps or before swamps uh uh before swamps so it's yeah Darby, right, mountains is by far the worst phase. All right, go through mountains. No. So mountains. All right. Mm-hmm. Mountains. Uh, mountains is is a uh, it's an emotional experience for a lot of people because mm-hmm. uh, it's it's bad. Um, that's when the, all that hunger and stuff really gets going because you are walking up mountains 
all is day. There, is there a break between the two phases or are you just like the next day you travel and you're going? The next day, the next day you travel. And if you're airborne qualified, you'll actually jump um, out of an airplane into the next phase. I was not airborne qualified. Mm-hmm. So I got to sleep in a, sleep in a bus and it was awesome. <laughs> uh, got, like the, got a couple four hours of sleep. It was great. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you get there and it kind of kicks right off. Mountain phase begins with some mountaineering. Like you learn how to do some mountaineering stuff and then you get into the, the field training and field training's rough. It's, mm-hmm. it's, we had a hurricane that was over us when we were in mountains. They didn't tell us that, but it, it rained us <laughs> off. Of course they didn't tell you. And we'd ask like, is it going to stop raining? And then we'd be like, I'm not a weatherman. Like figure it out. Figure yeah. it out. <laughs> um, so it, it rained every single day mm-hmm. for at least, you know, 18, 19, 20 hours a day. It was, it was bad. Yeah. Um, so, and then you spend that entire day just walking up mountains um, and you're doing missions. Like you have a, like a compound that you need to go raid and you need to go capture somebody or mm-hmm. whatever, but it will be like a 10 mile walk there and you're moving over three mountains during mm-hmm. the process. And it's just, it's just bad. And all day, all night, you're just walking up mountains and it's just, it's just a physical toll. So Everybody, a lot of people quit. And, yeah. They kept the food and sleep deprivation going there as well. They did, yeah. So during mountains, you get fed twice um, every day. You get one an MRE, which is not nearly enough calories um, for how much we're moving. How did they calculate that? Because like, if you're you're doing that much exercise, obviously, like you said, you lost forty pounds, but like you need a certain amount of calories to like move at mm-hmm. some point. Like the like the deprivation that they're giving you you're at the point where it's like borderline like i'm not going to be able to move tomorrow yeah how do have i would assume that they've done the studies and they've calculated how much you need it is yeah we had one dude in my class actually they hooked up a like a a little tracker to him Mm -hmm. um like it was like a calorie counter and they used Mm -hmm. it to like base off all of us and we were burning i don't know i don't remember the exact number but it it was well over eight thousand calories a day sheesh Um, and uh and they, I mean, they're feeding us maybe two meals from we were maybe getting 1500. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what ends up happening is you, you obviously burn all the fat off your body. It's gone. Mm-hmm. And you start, everyone starts smelling like cat piss all the time because <laughs> you start, you start burning muscle, mm-hmm. uh, for energy. And what happens when you burn muscle for energy is it releases ammonia and you sweat it out of your skin and you never, oh, uh, that's horrible. So yeah. So, so not only do you burn all your, your, your fat and everything you're eating, you also start burning muscle. Mm-hmm. So I actually had two NFL players in my Ranger school class and they lost, they were big muscular dudes. And even then they look skinny because they, they were burning through all their muscle mass. Your body starts eating itself. That's horrible. Like even yeah. f- 1500 calories is like, even for me, like if I go play a soccer game, I'll run like five to seven miles. If I play yeah. full 90 and 1500 calories would not be, I would not be a happy camper. I cannot imagine like going through it. Like, I know you said you like you prepared, did you prepare? Like, did you like starve yourself before you went? No, no, definitely not. Um, there's nothing that really can prepare you for that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of, it's one of those gut checks. Mm -hmm. Um, you kind of just have to do it. Um, yeah, they, they want, I want you, they want you to go in as healthy as you possibly can. You don't want to, you know, they, they don't want you to go. Some people like try to get fat before they go. So like, yeah, I got to burn off. But then they fail the PT test because they can't run. Yeah. Uh, I, I just went in as lean as as healthy as I possibly could. And 
Mm-hmm. And I came out as unhealthy as I've ever been in my entire life. So it's just it's kind of the way it goes. Yeah. That's, uh, it just sounds brutal. It was not, it was not very fun, but, but right. that's the other thing though, is it's, it's, it's terrible. It's mm-hmm. not a good time, but a lot of people pass it every year. Like it's, it is remarkably doable. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's, I think another big thing about the course is you realize like, here's, here's where the limits of human exhaustion go mm-hmm. and you can push pat far past your perceived limits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, that's true. Yeah. It's probably a good thing, like, now that you've done it, when you're working out, you're like, I can do an extra set. This is nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of that thought, you know, like, um, you, you can you can always keep going. Like, people, your your limits aren't what you think they are. Mm-hmm. What, what, what that school makes very, very clear. For sure. All right, swamps. Swamps. Yeah, so swamps is, is a time. It's another long field exercise, except for this time it involves walking – as we like to call it, through the baby shit swamp, a lot. Uh, <laughs> you do you do two major swamp movements, mm-hmm. and this, I'll talk mostly about the second one. Okay. Uh, it's actually when I when I, I recycled swamp, I did swamps twice, mm-hmm. and, I, and I failed. I was in charge during the Weaver mission, and it's just a colossal matter. So we start out, we're in our patrol base, we go and we walk about two and a half miles to a boat launch site. Mm-hmm. We go and we there's boats stashed there. We get in the zodiacs and we paddle for like. It was about two hours, two and a half hours through mm-hmm. the night, like it, the day into night is while we were paddling mm-hmm. and we reach a landing point. Okay. So you get out of the boats and you're like, all right, on the land and you get out of the boat and you step and you're down into the neck deep water and you're like, oh. and you start just trudging through the swamp and it's just really, really thick mud. Uh-huh. Like it's like climbing through baby shit. Um, That's the, horrible. The swamp movement on its own is about, is about 800 meters, eight football fields. Mm-hmm. And it takes us. Uh, it took us about nine hours because it's just, or maybe not nine, it might've been like five, probably closer to five. So it was still dark when I, when we got, it was like sun was coming up when we got through. Yeah. Probably about, probably about five hours to get through it mm-hmm. uh, just because how thick it is. And in the middle of it, we do like a river crossing mm-hmm. where there's like a river that's running through the swamp and you got to swim across it with this line. And it's, it's this whole thing we do. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But everyone's just, probably on a couple days without sleep at this point. Cause those days before it are really bad. Um, and so you get out and you're just drenched in mud and they're like, all right, I'll go hit the objective. Cause there's like some buildings over there and you're like, now go do it. And everyone's just, everyone's done at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Once it gets to that swamp, because wading through a swamp with a pack on, mm-hmm. it's exhausting. It's really, I'm really sure. Good. Even so. just like walking through like water. Yeah. That's that height and mud I'm sure is more difficult than that. Yeah. And it's late in the phase. So everything's really heavy at that point. Mm-hmm. Like your bag, you're, you're probably carrying over 105, 110 pounds. Um, it's, it's heavy. Everything's really, really heavy. And then everything's wet. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's that, that, that last part is a gut check. And people, everybody gives up at that point. Like mm-hmm. that day, like it, it's usually just a wash. I did it twice, both times. It was a wash. Just the second we got in the swamp, everyone's like, all right, I'm done. <laughs> and the leaders typically do not pass as a result. Yeah. That's tough, man. Yeah. Like you want to build that relationship with the guys like that. They want you to pass like yeah. as the leader. Yeah. It's kind of like, all right, I'll do, I'll do well for you. If you do well for me, but I'm not doing this. <laughs> That's exactly the balance. That's that's what the school's all about. Is like mm-hmm. getting that buy-in. 
so other people want you to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, on that day, it's just everyone's everyone starts really looking out for themselves because I'm in, sure like, kind of going to survival mode. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm sure. So then, and then is that the last? That's like that's the last thing, and then that's you're done? day eight of the ten, and uh-huh. the last day you do like this cool, like you do like a beach landing. Uh-huh. And you go and you take a couple compounds and then they drop you off and it's like a three mile run with your pack uh-huh. back to the barracks and that's where it ends. Um, people just fall little... over when they got back to the barracks. What's up? And people just fall over when they got back to the barracks. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you get out and you like lay out your stuff and to make sure you have all your stuff and like you didn't lose anything. It's uh-huh. valuable. Uh, and then I, I just went and got in the shower and I think I sat in the shower for probably an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> It was really cold mm-hmm. when I went through. It was really, really cold at mm-hmm. the end of my Florida. Because mm-hmm. uh, that hurricane, it was like 28 degrees that day. So I just sat in a hot shower for like an, like so long. Jeez, dude. Yeah. And then you it did it. Nice, but I was happy, you know. I, I just got done, so. And then you did it. And then you went and ate pizza. Oh, yeah. Ate pizza and drank my two beers. Sure that did. Was that day probably like the biggest sense of accomplishment that you've had? Like the day that you were done, like when you got into the shower, you were like, kind of, yeah, I, I thought it was going to be, but when I was there, I was just like, man, I'm ready to just go to bed. Like, I think when I, when it really hit me is that when I, when we got back to Fort Benning to get mm-hmm. ready for graduation and we got mm-hmm. in those barracks, I said, I was like, all right, yeah, this is real now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, because while we were still there at Eglin, it didn't feel like I was done. You're too tired to feel it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. Well, congratulations. Yeah. For that. That is a some some experience, I'm sure. I think it was. Some I'll definitely remember the rest of my life, even though some of the details are a little that's fuzzy. Right. You're, you're not I, supposed to, you're not supposed to remember the details and the abuse that you took because then you can't tell anyone about it. And then they yep. can keep doing it. They can keep doing it. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's uh that just sounds like, like I've heard stories like you listen to Rogan at all, Joe Rogan? Yeah. Yeah, so like when Jocko goes on and he tells stories about like Navy, like SEAL training and like all sorts of stuff like that, it's like just like the limits that they push people to. Yeah, it's like I have no desire to experience that whatsoever, as do most people. I don't either. Yeah, I'm done. (laughs) Yeah, but you're crazy and you did it anyways. I did, I did, but I'm done now. I'm not. Was that a choice? Was that a choice that you actively made, or was that part of ROTC? Like, know, your, or like your course, like it's a 100% volunteer school. You get to volunteer and like choose to go to it. So you course. went, so what made you want to do that? Um, it's just, it was, it was a goal of mine coming out of it. Like everyone talks about it. Like, mm-hmm. and then there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, you, you're not going to do it. I'm not very strong. Like I'm mm-hmm. not a remarkably strong or fast person mm-hmm. by any means. Like I'm not, I'm not showing anybody incredible feats of strength. So everyone's like, yeah, dude, you're not going to pass that. Like, you're not. <laughs> uh, and yeah, uh, thanks, part of it, it, it's, it's a cliche, but prove some people wrong. Um, so I wanted to do it and I did it. So I, uh, you gotta, you, everyone can find their niche in that school. And I found mm-hmm. like kind of mine mm-hmm. in that I was really good at the operations order process Mm-hmm. Um, which is like the planning side of some of these missions. And so I, j- I leaned super heavy into that and it helped me get through that school. Um, I helped every single person write their order when they were in charge mm. and they helped me like carry some stuff and stuff like that. So like there was a little give and take there. So that's good. That's how it, I mean, that's how it should be for sure. Yeah. I think I would, I would assume 
but that is probably way more difficult than either recon school or the armored school. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's probably, it depends on who you ask, but it's probably one of the more challenging, if not the most challenging course the army has to offer. I mean, it's always up for debate, like what's harder ranger school, you know, buds, like it's always up for debate and it's hard to know because very few people have done all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And they're just, they're different. Like, yeah, I don't don't know much about buds. I don't think they starve you. Um, so I, I don't know. So I've heard, um, there was one guy that went on Rogan. He was a, oh, what was his name? Tim Kennedy. Yeah. 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 He, he was describing buds. Like he went back and he's an instructor there now, I think. Um, but like those guys that like, that just live that it's like, they're just different. Like they're a different type of human that like you want you do not want to be on their bad side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and Buds is different too. It has a different end result, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Like when you come out of Ranger School, you don't come out of it like a good soldier. Like if when I got out of Ranger School, if someone was like, "All right, now go to war," I would not be very useful in the battlefield. <laughs> I was just this disgusting, scrawny little thing. Um, I think Buds is different in that way. I, mm-hmm. I don't. Again, I don't. I don't know. But I think in those schools, they're like trying to produce like these these soldiers that mm-hmm. can go out and, and be lethal and ranger school you come out of it and you are not yeah. in peak quality to, to go do that kind of stuff what's, what's the difference between so for, forgive me if i don't know this but yeah what is like you hear what are the green berets then versus the rangers versus like the other like socom units yeah so there's there's a lot of stuff that goes into that and even into the whole ranger thing um as we, as we talked about a little bit mm-hmm. um but so the Green Berets, that's that's you. It's the United States Army Special Forces. Mm-hmm. They just call themselves the Green Berets because they wear Green Berets, and, and mm-hmm. there's historical stuff for that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's there's a lot of Green Berets that go to Ranger School. I had in my squad of like twelve. I think I had three in my squad who mm-hmm. Green Berets. Um, so they'll send people to it, but it's not not necessarily mandatory. And Green mm-hmm. Berets have their own school, the, the Special Forces Assessment and Selection as fast. Mm-hmm. Um, that's totally different from ours. Uh, and then there's the Ranger <clears throat> Regiment, which is the other like SOCOM unit, the 7th mm-hmm. Ranger Regiment. And they're actually separate from Ranger School. And they have they also have their own school called RASP, but then they also go to Ranger School. So it, it's it's all super weird. And so mm-hmm. I didn't go to RASP, not in the Ranger Regiment. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole big debate of who is a Ranger, who isn't a Ranger. None of it matters. It's all just, you know, mm-hmm. big you know, it's all dumb competition. People trying to one up one another. It doesn't matter. Don't would you care. say the Green Berets probably are closer to the SEALs than if, like, what the school is trying to produce, rather yeah, than probably they have different goals. I think mm-hmm. the Green Berets, the the whole thing is their their whole specialty is um, more teaching is their thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if so their like specialty is they should be able to go into a place and essentially start an insurgency is their whole thing. Gotcha. So good at inserting into places and getting like the locals fired up and training them. That's like their thing. Um, they can do direct action like the seals do like raids mm-hmm. and all that. Like they're absolutely expertly qualified in that stuff, but that's like their niche mm-hmm. is the teaching portion yeah. and playing a little bit of politics while the seals, I think their niche is more straight direct action. Yeah. And there's like, 
then there's you know CAG and all these other units like with the CIA and stuff that also yeah that. yeah so, that's that's a whole different it's a whole different ball game yeah so what so then are the Rangers considered special forces as well like that go through yeah the- yeah the Ranger Regiment is yeah but they're they're different in that when you think of most conventional special forces units you're thinking like 12 man teams mm-hmm. and stuff. The Ranger Regiment operates in company size elements. So you're getting mm-hmm. 150 soldiers on the ground when the Ranger Regiment go like at a time or more. Gotcha. Um, so they're, they're more like elite light infantry. Um, and they, they go in force. So they, they can hold off a big fight. They're, they're big units. Well, not, not these little small teams. Mm-hmm. So what's sort of like the goal of RASP then? Like what, so like you said, Green Berets are like, the more insurgency stuff, the SEALs are like the elite direct action. And what's, what's sort of like the RASP goal? Like what do they produce? Uh, kill stuff. Oh, sweet. Pretty much. Yeah. That's they're, they're simple. just, they got a lot of firepower and they go in and they may mm-hmm. I guess. I didn't go to RASP, but that's from my understanding. That's how it works. I had a lot of Ranger bad guys, obviously in our Ranger school class. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the niche there is they're just really good light infantry. So your ranger school then is like, a is it a prereq for RASP or like, is it just another like? It's usually actually a post. So usually they'll okay. do RASP first uh-huh. and they'll get in the ranger regiment. And then with, I think it's within two years, they have to pass ranger school and they'll get kicked out. Mm. So you didn't, well, you didn't do that first. Yeah, that that I, I'm not on the RASP path. Like I'm not on the path to go. And it's different for officers too. It's yeah, the officer stuff's super weird. Oh, so they send you they send you to ranger school for like extra leadership and like we're gonna okay. mess with your brain for a couple months. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, exactly. they just it's, wanted to mess with you. You didn't need to go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then but, but for officers, they'll never go to RASP first because mm-hmm. officers go to a different RASP than the enlisted do, and it's mm-hmm. after that would be after ranger school. It's called RASP two. Gotcha. Um, so it, it, the officer side stuff's really weird, but the, the school is founded actually after um, Korea, after the mm-hmm. Korean War, because during that time, like the build down from World War II, they found the army got kind of really soft. Uh, mm. They found it was really soft during uh, Korea. They had, they had a lot of issues with discipline. Um, they didn't think that they were fighting as well in like the really harsh environments. So that's why they invented Ranger School to like, hey, we're not going to have these issues again. We're going to have like tough leaders. Mm-hmm. And so the goal isn't of Ranger School isn't just for the ranger regiment guys to go they want really they want all combat arms officers to go to ranger school that makes sense you that toughness that they felt they lacked back in the day um and they they want that instilled in their officer corps well that's that's why it exists did it work i guess yeah (laughs) you know i'm actually about to go be a lawyer so i don't know if they kept me but yeah i'm gonna i I, uh got into a program i'm actually gonna go to law school and go be a jag officer but oh nice yep so jag jag officer is what where what's jag uh so it's the judge advocate general um mm-hmm. it's basically it's basically a law firm for the army uh, mm-hmm. if you've seen the movie uh what's it for a few good men with tom cruise i've not seen it i've not seen it but i've heard yeah it's it's that um i i i decided this a little while ago something I was actually interested in i wanted to do like real army stuff like mm-hmm tanks and mm-hmm. recon and ranger school and then i'm gonna go be a lawyer because you know being a being an armor officer is great but when i want to go be a civilian one of these days yeah it's not the most employable but we always say how you how do you get an infantryman off your front door you pay him for your pizza um like 
the the skills like they're they're intangible skills obviously that you gain as being in the army like no mm-hmm. one can uh, doubt that but mm-hmm. as a you know as an infantryman or as an armor officer like you don't really have that niche in society Mm-mm. anymore because I, no. I does not have tanks my expertise in tanks or i shouldn't even say expertise my knowledge of tanks is is not that relevant in the in the civilian world so the only way degree, the army's gonna pay for it yeah the only way it would be relevant is with i know a bunch of people that go into like um like the acquisition side of whatever yeah. that they were on before so like one of the guys that i was working with was um he was a comms officer in the marines and now he works he works for like that like the program that he was in yeah like the units that he were in now he works to like buy the equipment that the, that those units use so like yeah and i shouldn't say it's not relevant because people mm-hmm. do really great things obviously when they get out of the army um, mm-hmm their experience they had in combat arms officers Mm -hmm. it's just it's it's it kind of limits you a little bit Mm -hmm. some things that it's hard it's hard to make the comparison um so i'm trying to branch out a little bit i guess yeah for sure i think that's a good that's a that's a very applicable do you want to be a lawyer like once you get out are you kind of just like yeah yeah i've been when i was in college i got really interested in in, in studying the law Mm -hmm. um and then the actual military uh court martial system is Mm -hmm. really really interesting uh, and so the army has said, Hey, we'll send you to law school and we'll pay for it. And that'll be like my duty station. Like I'll still be in the army mm-hmm. on active duty while I'm in law school. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's such a good deal. Um, yeah. I was, I was really excited about it. So when do you start, uh, this, this fall. Nice. Congratulations. So is it the same as like a normal law school? Yeah. Or... I'm hoping to go to UVA law. I applied mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I, I'll find out back in a couple months. So gotcha. Um, yeah. Good for you, man. That's yeah, awesome. Thanks. That would be, that would back in high school, that would have been the, like one of the things that I would have like pegged you to do more than go to yeah. ranger school. I think most people would agree. Yeah. It, it fits, it fits kind of what I do, I guess, one of my, my things, but so. it would have been either that or go into like coaching like your, like yeah. your dad. So we'll jump there. So your dad, is yeah. he, is, does he still have that job? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he is still working with the uh, the team formerly known as the Washington Redskins, now known as the Washington football team. Uh, and he's working on their coaching staff. Yep. So you, um, what, were you what were you considered, like an intern with the team for a couple summers or whatever? Yeah, intern slash equipment assistant slash like operations assistant for um, – I probably did it for like seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. So what – so what is that? What is that like to sort of be in the in the locker or like? Were you in the locker room much or like? Just I was. Yeah. So I, I worked directly in the locker room mm-hmm. every day, and uh, it, it's an interesting environment. It's mm-hmm. uh, it's kind of their little safe space, for lack of a better word, uh, where they're not near the fans. The mm-hmm. media comes in for a while, but then they kick them out. Yeah. Um, and it's 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 a it's an interesting environment that you kind of can't like spoil. Mm-hmm. Like we have a lot of people that go in there and they try to be super fans. Like they're like, Oh, I'm going to get all these autographs, blah, blah, blah. But you no. don't do that in the locker room. That's no. nice like a person. Is it the same as soccer where the guys have different like particular routines? So like, I know obviously soccer, there's a lot less players, but like guys will have the same shin guards that they were using from like youth. And like, they mm-hmm. want their boots, like their cleats set up in a particular way and like all sorts of stuff like that. Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a lot of guys that, wearing the same shoulder pads that they wore in high school mm-hmm. in the NFL. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys. Like Kirk Cousins, I think, was doing that for a while. I don't – yeah, I believe it was him. He had these green shoulder pads he always wore. Mm-hmm. A lot of guys are particular about their helmets too, which Antonio Brown got in. Yeah. Of course um, it was him. 
Yeah, of course it's him. But the helmets is a complex. So whenever we get a new player, we immediately looked at their like either their college photos or whatever team they're on last at their like photos, and we'd mm-hmm. figure out this is what they wore, and we'd have it ready for them when they showed up. Mm-hmm. Um, but we'd always try to encourage the players to like upgrade. So a lot of guys would be wearing helmets that are eight, nine years old, and they may be two star concussion reviewed. We're like, hey, here's a five star helmet. Like, yeah, I remember. Same. I remember Tom Brady was he was wearing the same helmet for like years and years and years. Yep. I think are the helmets that different or is it more of like a, like a, what's the word feeling? What's the word that I'm looking for? My mind is blanking. More of like a, like a placebo. No, not placebo. Like emotional connection to it. Yeah. They're, they're, that exists. Some dudes are really superstitious too. And mm-hmm. they want to keep wearing the same helmet they've done well with their whole career. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big thing is, uh, I just blanked. Yeah, so the the helmets are they're rated on a one to five star scale, mm-hmm. and players should be encouraged to wear five star helmets. The issue is mm-hmm. most of the five star helmets are really ugly. Like they're <laughs> big, they're bulky. There's one we have, and I'm not kidding, is made entirely out of styrofoam. The entire helmet is literally styrofoam lined. Does anyone wear it? Show. And it's our highest rated safety helmet. Does anyone wear it? Nope, not a single person. It is a five. It's huge too. Like it's really big. Because is it uncomfortable? It's uncomfortable. It's it's not bad actually. It's not totally uncomfortable. Mm. The issue is if you get hit hard enough, it'll it'll shatter. And that's on purpose. What that does is that actually dispels the force of the hit, and it oh. doesn't go in your head. It goes, it shatters the helmet. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And it's really well rated. Like it it's really mm-hmm. proven to be good against concussions issues. No one wants to wear it. Because yeah. no one wants to, one, have to change helmets if they get hit too hard. And two, like, it just looks ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure. I think I remember when, like, the helmets started coming out that have those little, like, in the back, they have, like, that little, like, indent in them. Mm-hmm. And, like, that took a while. Like, a lot of guys don't wear those, at least from yeah. what I've seen. I don't really watch that much just because I'm busy and I'd rather watch soccer. But, sure. um, like, from what I've seen, like... There's so many different helmets. It's it's hard to. It's hard like for the average fan to know because unless you see like that indent on the back of the helmet, like all the helmets look the same except for the face masks, which you can you can transfer a face mask from helmet to helmet, can't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So like it like when I went on Madden one time to like create a player and they had like 50 different helmets, and I was like, who like what? Who notices? And the average viewer doesn't notice, but mm-hmm. they're yet they're still super passionate about it. They're like, no, nah, I'm not wearing that. It looks ridiculous, mm-hmm. which is something that's weird to me, but it, it's, you know, they're, they're, lo- they're out there for their look. They, mm-hmm. they care about how they look. They, they, they feel confident wearing it. So I, I get it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I get it for sure. It's like, I would think it would be different than like, did you have, did you ever have a guy on the team that was like sort of like a, an Odell Beckham with like the cleats that they would wear with like ridiculous patterns or not like stuff like that? Yeah. Especially later on. Um, uh-huh. Like it, it's actually become very popular to do that now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't able to invo- involve much at all this season just because of COVID and, mm-hmm. and they were like little bubble, but uh, even like last year and the year before when I was able to work here and there, like that's mm-hmm. almost I'd say almost half the players at some point have like customized cleats. They mm. were. Uh, it's it, a huge thing now. Yeah. And because the NFL allows it now. They, they used to not allow that. Right. I remember, I remember when they made that change, I think was it, uh, it wasn't that long ago, a couple of years ago, 
and like that is when they released that rule that new rule like the next game every like stud wide receiver had different cleats on and their own cleats yeah yeah, yeah. They, they like doing it and it, they used used to have to wear team colored cleats and odell i think was i don't know if it was him or if somebody else actually started it but he was they're paying fines every game to wear that um, yeah antonio brown i think did it for a little while maybe yeah, actually uh, i don't know if it was him i don't know if tomlin would have let him do that i don't know but yeah odell definitely did it for a little while and i think um oh who was it i don't know that's gonna bug me that i don't remember but yeah i remember when that happened they were like that's fine i'll pay the fine yeah right they were making enough at that point did you enjoy that though your time there with the team Definitely, definitely enjoyed it. It was a really cool environment, um, that team environment. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it, it was, it's, it's a really, really cool, uh, unique experience. That, that was the biggest thing is it was unique. I mean, there, there was nothing like game day. Um, being, I worked on the sidelines on game day, mm-hmm. um, which was just – it was, it was awesome. Uh, it's, just, mm-hmm. it, it's an unreal environment being down there on the, on the field during the game. Yeah, I'm um, sure. Just the, the panic, the tension that it goes, goes into every snap, um, the sound – the crunch it's mm-hmm. just different on the sidelines like when you hear these these gigantic men hit each other that hard um it's really cool i did get rain over once um there is video <laughs> does exist i got absolutely clobbered on a punt who was uh, it the, Do you remember one who of the gunners was? got shoved out of bounds uh-huh. and took me out oh man i got yeah totally got destroyed what's up did it hurt uh no actually i was i think i was so shocked that like I didn't really feel it. And the guy was kind of short and mm-hmm. so he like kind of just got my shoulder. He didn't get my head or anything. Mm-hmm. So it was, it wasn't awful, but it looked bad. Like some of the players ran over like freaking out, like, Oh no. I, I was, I was like, messed up. Yeah. I was like 16. Mm-hmm. No, I wasn't was, that, very was that in high school? Once you guys moved to, to Loudon? I'm sorry. Was that once you are, were at Briar or was that before? Uh, that was, that was when I was at Briar. Yeah. I believe so. I think that, yeah, yeah. You probably you probably came in and told everybody the next day. I probably sh- I've probably shown you it just years ago. Yeah, long long time ago. Well, do you have any last tidbits? No, I don't think so, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, for sure. It was good. It was good to catch up. Good to talk to you. Everyone interested about Ranger School? I'm not going to tell you anything. Ask Colin. Um, yeah. But we've been it's been an hour and a half, man. Time flies. Time flies. All right. Well, we will see everybody next time. Bye, everybody. Take care.